Well, good morning or good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is where you are when you hear this. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to today's edition of Bible Bites. We are in episode 165, and we are looking at the book of Psalms. We are here in the book of Psalms, and so we begin that beloved book today, and probably of all the scriptures, that may be one of the books that's the most well-known and the most well-referenced, because so many people rely on many different psalms in their life. The, the beloved psalm, the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23, you know, many people hear that at, at funerals even, and, and how many of us have called on the, the verses in that psalm how many times in our lives, and so many other psalms that are very special and precious to all of us, both Jewish and Gentile believers. Um, we, we refer to the psalms, and they're beautiful. This a beautiful book, uh, a beautiful compilation it's written by several different authors. Several of the Psalms have different authors. We generally think of David as being the author of the book of Psalms, but he is not. He did write many of them and probably the most of them. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's like 70-something of the Psalms that were attributed to be written by David. Um, or at least several that have been understood to be by David. There are several that are unnamed psalms, so we really do not know who wrote those. I believe Psalm 91, for instance, is one of those. We're not sure um, who wrote that. It could have been written by Moses, could have been written by David. We don't know. Moses wrote psalms. Solomon wrote a few. Um, David wrote several. The sons of Korah wrote some. I mean, there's several different authors of the Psalms. But today we're going to be reading, um, there's a couple here, the very first couple that are not named in terms of their authorship, but then several of these are named to be Psalms of David. So let's begin in this beloved book. This also was a book, it was actually uh, referred to as the hymn book, so to speak, for the Jewish people. The, the Jewish people sang a lot of these because when David wrote them, many of them, you'll see in the titles and so forth, were attributed to be musical. They were songs. They were songs of praise. They were to be um, played on musical instruments and so forth. So let's begin with chapter one. We're going to cover the Psalms 1 through 8 today, and I'm going to try to make this brief, and I'll probably just make a few comments out of each Psalm as I read through and what the Lord was kind of um, prompting me with. First off, I want to read Psalm chapter 1. That's a beautiful one to start with for sure. Psalm chapter 1, I want to read verse 1 through 3, and it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is talking about a person. It, it may say man in a in a masculine sense, but it means man or woman, any person. The, the blessed person is the one who fits this category. And I would encourage you to make these verses your prayer for you and for your family or your children or grandchildren 
every single day. Pray over these scriptures and make this a point. Let your delight be in the law of the Lord or in the word of God. Let, may God make you like the tree planted by the rivers of water, forever fruitful, leaf not withering, and whatever you do, prosper or succeed in its godly mission. You know, sometimes we read about prosperity and we always tend to think with that word of material possessions, but that's not really what the word is talking about. It can be, it can be, and God does bless sometimes with possessions. He blesses many people with possessions so that they can then turn around and use those to bless other people. It's not about God making us selfish and filling our hordes. It's about him giving us blessings so that we can then pour them out to other people. He entrusts them to us to be used for his glory and for his godly purposes. But it does mean that whatever we do, this this type of man is going to be his mind and so forth, or, or that woman's mind and so forth is going to be uh, in tune with God, in tune with his heart and with his spirit. And so God will cause us to prosper as we walk the path of righteousness, as we walk to please him and to do his will. So that was really what struck me uh, the most. And in verse 4 through 6 of that chapter, the remaining few verses, they show the contrast between this type of person and the ungodly who are like the chaff and, and they're not going to be able to stand in the judgment when, when that time comes. So the Lord knows the difference. He understands the difference. And that's what it's saying. It's bringing out the contrast. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 speak of how how so many People rage against God and think that they can stand against him and that they can prosper. How futile it is. As a matter of fact, so futile that God sits in heaven and laughs at them. He laughs at their evil plot. Then in verse 6 through 9, it speaks of how he, he, he will be the victor. He will be the victor. He will rule and reign in the messianic kingdom. And so this is somewhat of a prophetic psalm about the messianic kingdom, which is to come when Jesus will rule and reign as king. And notice that's found in verse 6 through 9 when God says he's going to establish him in Jerusalem on his holy hill of Zion. But then in verse 10 through 12, it gives instructions basically for people on the earth and for nations and for leaders in the earth so that they have a good standing and can be at peace and in favor with God in that day um, as far as their lands and so forth and not kindling his wrath. Chapter 3, this is one that is named to be written by David and we're even told what happened when he wrote this. This was at the time when he was fleeing from his treacherous son, Absalom. And I want to read to you verse 3 through 4. Uh, this is a great prayer for you to memorize and, and think upon. This is a very comforting scripture. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill the heavenly Mount Zion, the heavenly holy hill where God dwells in heaven. And so God is a shield for us. He's our glory. And notice this, he's the one who lifts up our head. How many times do we get 
maybe discouraged or downtrodden a little bit or we're sad, this is an awesome scripture to memorize because it's at that time when you can remember and remind yourself through meditating on his word and through bringing up the scripture again to your mind that he is your shield, your glory, and the lifter of your head. Beloved, when you need your head lifted, God is the one who can lift your head and bring you back to that place where you're looking up, not so saddened that you're downtrodden in your spirit. Hallelujah. And then verse 5 is a good sleep scripture. Now, there are some scriptures that, that you know, I, I know every night when I pray, I remember those and I pray these um, so that we have good sleep. And this is one of them. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. So I just give you that and encourage you to remember that even and pray that about your sleep. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Remember this, if you are among the people of God, if you have a covenant relationship with Jesus and you are a child of God, you are a Christian, then salvation is yours and God's blessing is upon you. God's blessing. He wants you to enjoy his blessing. Hallelujah. He is for you, not against you. Then in Psalm chapter 4, the author here is listed as David as well with stringed instruments. So it's also um, a psalm that was designed to be sung or played as music. Um, in verse 3, it's, it's important for us to know, understand, and remember things like this. Know, it says verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Hallelujah. God sees you. He set you apart to be his, to be his special child, to be his special bride, to be his special treasure in all the earth. It talked about in an earlier place. Hallelujah. And then um, this connects in verse 4. I want to read that one. It says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. This connects with something that Paul wrote in the New Testament, which many of us are familiar with, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. When Paul wrote basically the same thing here. He said, be angry, um, you know, but don't let, don't, don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath, he says, nor give place to the devil. I think that it connects here because in essence what this is saying is be, be angry. Anger, anger itself, there are righteous holy angers. There are times when anger may be an appropriate emotion to have. But there's a way for us to be angry and not sin in our anger. And here it's telling us a little bit more. Um, and I think it connects with what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4. Because here it says to meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Paul says, further goes on and says, you know, don't give place to the devil. I think there's a connection there. In other words, here by waiting, by holding back, by not getting angry uh, and, and, and sinning in your anger, by giving it thought, by pulling back and stopping and thinking it through, you will realize that the end of such anger would only give a place or a spot of ground for the devil to work in your life. 
That's how I believe these scriptures connect. When we get angry, it's best not to let that develop into sin, into the sin of maybe unforgiveness, the sin of bitterness, the sin of resentment, those kinds of things. Because the Bible tells us in another place that those things will ruin, they will affect every area of our life. It will spread like a cancer and ruin every area of our life and affect it in a negative way. So God is saying here, whoa, hold down. When you get angry, don't sin, but rather go go think it through and, and pray about it and let it, you know, just be still. Be still and don't allow the devil a foothold or a toehold in your life. Beloved, we have enough trouble with the devil outside of us giving him any ground. We don't want to give him any spot inside of us that he can then have uh, free access and free reign to ruin our lives and to do more damage. And I think that's how those scriptures might connect. So I pray that was um, a blessing to you as well. In verse 8 of chapter 4, I love this one too. And this is another good scripture to pray over your sleep. At night, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's also good to remember and remind ourselves that it is God alone that keeps us safe at all times and in all places. And so we praise him for that. In chapter 5 of the Psalms, it says this one is also written by David, was also designed to be musical. This one particularly says with flutes. And so it was designed to be a musical, maybe a psalm that they would sing. And as a matter of fact, in verse 1 through 3, there is a song that has been written about this. And it's hard for me to read these words without even trying to sing them. And I'm no singer. But it says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King, my King, and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. I encourage you, beloved, to spend time the first of every day in prayer. Get, get alone with God pray and let him hear your voice every morning first thing and cry out and pour out your heart before him each and every day hallelujah this stresses the importance of daily prayer and worship that's one way we can give god the very first part of our day and give him the authority and the permission to direct our day and to direct our steps forward there's another psalm we'll get to that talks about god directing our steps in verse 7 of chapter 5, I love it how he says, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. Beloved, God doesn't just have a little bit of mercy. He's got a multitude of mercies. As a matter of fact, in the book of Lamentations, which we will read later, he says that his mercies are new or fresh every morning. You know how I look at that? I think about it like this, that God has a fresh baked loaf of mercy for you and for me every single day because we need a different kind of mercy we need a different amount of mercy today than we needed yesterday or the day before and we'll need a different mercy for tomorrow does god give us tomorrow if he if he so chooses 
And so I love to look at it that way, that every morning, every morning to wake up and just say, you know, when you're having your breakfast or whatever, think about the fresh baked loaf of mercy God has for you and ask him and thank him for it. Thank him that every day he's got a fresh baked, brand new, fresh loaf of mercy poured out and, and ready for you and available to you for, for whatever you need it for that day. It's beautiful to see that and how good he is to have a multitude of mercies. That's why he can give us the mercy we need for today. And there's a, a new mercy he gives us for tomorrow. And there's a new one and he's got an ample supply. He's got a multitude of it and he's never going to run out. Praise God. Hallelujah. In chapter 6, this is another one that gives the authorship to David. And it's a song. It was a song with instruments as well. And we see in Psalm chapter 6 that David is crying out to God in pain and distress here. He says, even in verse 2, for instance, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, hear, heal me, for my bones are troubled. And then he goes on and he talks about the weariness. And apparently, um, this is in response to some disturbing words, maybe accusations, um, and attacks that were spoken to him by a particular man named Cush, I guess, a Benjamite. And so apparently this man brought accusations and op opposition to David. And so David responds by pleading before the Lord, by calling out to God and bringing a petition to God, entrusting the matter to him. And then in verse 6, he says, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. So this is how much th this is bothering him. Um, but then notice how, oh, I'm sorry, in, verse seven, in chapter 7. I was reading out of the wrong one. I apologize. In verse 6, let me read it again. He says this, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. Beloved, I wanted to encourage you that, you know, there's, there's a few things that Scripture says God commands meaning he speaks them forth and they will not be undone. You know, the word of a king, we learned from Esther and other, uh, other places in Scripture, there's a Proverbs that talks about this, how the word of a king cannot be revoked, it cannot be changed. And so God has certain commandments that he, or commands toward us and over us, that he, once he speaks them, they will be done. And this speaks of one of those. One of those is a judgment. And judgment just means verdicts. God has verdicts over us. For instance, when you got saved, when you gave your heart and your life to Jesus and you made him the Lord and Savior of your life and received him in his finished work, the judgment that God proclaimed over you was that you were justified by faith alone. You were made righteous. You were considered righteous. And he then imputed his righteousness to you. That is one of the judgments that God commanded to be done. And so that's why the New Testament writes things like, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So, beloved, that's what this word is talking about. There are things that God commands in the form of judgments. And David is saying, command, you know, bring, bring to me that judgment that you've commanded on my behalf to fight for me, to be there for me, to help me, and to deliver me. And so he's trusting God to give him that verdict. And he's calling out for that. 
Another thing that I wanted to point out out of chapter 7, and I actually posted this uh, on social media a little while ago, this is a great prayer for us, especially right now in our country and in our world, to pray these verses over America. It says this in verse 9, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. So, beloved, I would encourage you to make that a prayer for America today, that God would let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, and instead he would establish the just, because the righteous God that we pray to is the one who tests hearts and minds for us. And then we close up with Psalm chapter 8 today. Also, this is another one written by David, and it was also to be a song and an instrumental and in this psalm, David is really boasting and celebrating God's excellent name. He knows God. You know, we've studied, I've done uh, a couple of um, studies in the past on the names of God. One of those has already been posted uh, to this Facebook page as well as a series. And there's plenty of others that uh, that I have that I want to do and, and others that I've taught in the past <coughs> about the names of God. And in Scripture, we have many names of God revealed to us. And I believe there's a couple of reasons for that. One of those is that one alone cannot contain him. He is, he is our healer, but he's not just our healer. He is also our peace, but he's not just our peace. He's also the Lord of the armies that fight for us, but he's not just the Lord of the armies that fight for us. So you get the point. There's, there's no way that one name alone could contain him. The one name that he gave himself when he um, spoke to Moses is I am. I am. And that encompasses all of those things. I am. Whatever you need, I am in that moment right then. And, you know, tomorrow he's still the I am. He's still the very present help in time of trouble. He's still the very present God for that situation as well. So David here has come to know God in in his name and in many forms are or revelations of his name and who he is, his character. And so now David is boasting about the excellence of his name. And I want to just point out two more quick things here as we draw down to a close. First, in verse 2, uh, this is a very uh, famous verse to many of us, and we know it. It's also used in the in the New Testament as well. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And this is talking about how even with children, when children bring praise and worship to God and they speak forth from the Spirit of God, how it silences even the enemies and it sounds out the praises of God. And I believe that's a very precious thing to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've seen on Facebook some different um, different examples of that where children were either singing praises to God or, or one little girl, she's preaching and she's telling people about how they need to know Jesus and how they need to get saved and, you know, things like that. And then other little, another little boy was preaching about how Jesus was in the whole of the, New Te of the Old Testament in every book and different things like that. And boy, that just makes me want to weep every time I hear those. 
it just brings tears to my eyes because it's so tender and so precious. And think about how powerful that is, that even as children, they can still be proclaiming the truth of God, bringing him great praise and silencing the enemy. Hallelujah. That's beautiful. And then in verse three through five, I want to read this to you and we'll close with this one. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him or care for him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, beloved, think about this. David wrote this, you know, 3,500 years ago. Uh, 4,000 years ago, perhaps now. No, I'm sorry. It's about 3,000 years ago now. And this was way before, way before there was ever any NASA satellite, way before there was ever any Hubble telescope, way before there was ever any spacecrafts that went out into um, into the, the heavens and showed us all the glories and magnificent things that are out there, billions of light years away, some of them many many of them millions and billions of light years away. Way before David had that kind of understanding that you and I have now, all he knew was the stars he could see, the heavens and the moon and stars that he could see with his eyes through the sky. And remember, he was a shepherd, so he had seen a bunch of night skies and a bunch of the constellations and a bunch of beautiful stars sprinkling and shining in, in star, uh, sparkling in heaven. So that's what he knew. And he says, when I consider that, when I consider that you made all of these beautiful things and you caused the constellations to come together, when I look at the Big Dipper or when I look at the sun or the moon, when I look at the sparkling stars and I consider you the one who's way above those, the one who's created all of those, what in the world is man that you even care about him and visit him for good? How in the world are you even interested in being with us and caring for us? That's basically what he's saying here. And beloved, it is a mind-blowing thing. I don't have the answer for that. It amazes me every time I think about it. But that's the truth of the matter. God, the one who made all the wonders that the Hubble telescope and other things have brought us to understand and to see and enjoy, the one who made those we don't worship those things. That's evil and occultic and, and uh, of the devil. But we worship the one who made those things and hung them in their place and gave them their name. He is the one. He is the one who cares to dwell with us, who cares to fellowship with us, and who takes care of us. And that is an awesome Thing. It, it does. It blows our minds. It's so amazing. And it's worthy of praise. It, it makes it, it draws that praise. I don't know about you, but it draws that praise and that gratitude out of me when I do think about it. And so, beloved, I encourage you to be, um, be mindful of that. Just remember that the great God who made all of the things that we see and the things way beyond what we can even see and comprehend is the same God who cares to visit you, who cares to fellowship with you, and who cares enough about the things involving you that he will take care of every detail concerning your life. Hallelujah. 
He's a wonderful God. And I just hope that the, this has been a blessing to you today. God bless you, my friends, and I hope you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites.